Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the first introducing episode of the summer and it's not a player that we're going to introduce. It's Dan Ashworth who has finally been appointed Newcastle Sporting Director. Now you may remember when Dan Burns signed, I got Richie Mills on who covers Brighton for Sussex Live and he gave us the insight into Dan Burns. That episode went down really well. And we mentioned then that when... Dan, uh, Dan Ashworth is, is finally appointed Newcastle Sporting Director. There's lots of titles flying about, but it is Sporting Director. We would get Richie back on. It has taken a little while. We, we did fear we might have to wait until November, but thankfully Newcastle have moved to get Dan Ashworth in before the summer trance window even opens, which would be a big boost to Newcastle. It seems, Richie, to be a, an appointment that is it's been welcomed by Newcastle fans, but if you look on a broader scale, you know, top-class journalists, people within the game are all saying that this is a big, big appointment for Newcastle. It seems like they've got a real scoop in appointing Dan Ashworth. What is your initial reaction to the fact that he has left Brighton and gone to Newcastle? I, th- I think, uh, first off, I think it's a, a really good move from Newcastle. Um, it'll be interesting. Well, I think a lot of people thought they would maybe, I don't know, get like a huge name or something like that. But I think the appointment of Ashworth is a very shrewd one. Um, in terms of the people who have, you know, lots of good things to say about him. Uh, Tony Bloom, the Brighton owner, said he was extremely disappointed to see someone of his calibre go. Um, and I think there's maybe a sort of a feeling amongst some Premier League clubs that... Um, they were hoping that maybe this would be delayed because you've got this sleeping giant in Newcastle with all this wealth. And if you have someone at the wheel who really, really knows what he's doing, then, um, you know, it it could be a very exciting time for Newcastle, but a dangerous time for the rest. So I think maybe they were, well, they were hoping that the sort of the garden leave would take a long time, but Graham Potter spoke, uh, the Brighton boss spoke unbelievably highly of him. He said, you know, he's, um, he's a very good job of sort of, um, coordinating all the different departments and um, I guess making them all a bit more cohesive and streamlined. Um, and he had such a great uh, reputation when he was at the FA, you know, he had the England DNA, which we'll probably get into in a little bit. Um, but yeah, just it seemingly wherever he goes, he leaves, uh, he blazes the trail. So um, I think yeah, this is something that Newcastle fans should be very excited about. We're going to get a really good insight, hopefully, into that relationship with Potter and the rest of the board and what he did at Brighton. But you mentioned just there that the feeling might be that Newcastle were going to go out and get this big name. But is that a little bit unfair, maybe, on Ashworth, just because he's not got his name in light? When If you, if you follow football, you will know the name Dan Ashworth. You don't have to be a Newcastle United fan. You know, I think most fans who follow football will know something about Dan Ashworth, I mean, he was linked to the Manchester United role. He, like you say, he worked for the FA and he's been credited with the, the you know, the success in, in the latter years there before he left to join Brighton. So is it a case that you think he just works quietly behind the scenes, doesn't really, you know, want the publicity and just gets on with the job at a very, very high uh, standard? Yeah, I think um, one thing, he, I think he doesn't like to be sort of the man. Uh, he talked about, um, there's a very good podcast that he did I think it was the training guru podcast in 2020 and he talks about how he doesn't like hierarchical structures he sort of sees it as a spokes of the wheel and he's in the hub of it um but he basically likes you know keep the wheel spinning but every single department has to be 
working together and align with one each other. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he's a very, a very smart appointment. But um, yeah, I think uh, just in terms of the, just, you know, the, the 250 billion more assets that the BIF have, I think just if you look at, oh, you know, there's just obviously the talk of buy, buying the, the best in class, but I do think Ashworth could be best in class, but maybe just a bit more understated. I've got the, a similar quote there. This is from an interview with uh, the coach's voice. You can find them on, on Twitter and they've got a YouTube channel. And Dan Ashworth did an interview. Uh, I think it would have been last year. There was no date on it, but it looked like it was while he was still at Brighton. And he said, my role was to oversee the football side of the club and connect the different departments. I'm at the center of the wheel, connecting the seven football bubbles at the end of the spokes, which is similar to the quote you just gave there. And I guess the question every Newcastle United fan will be asking, Richie, is did he manage to do that? And at what standard did he do it at? It's a good question. So uh, just in terms of a little bit of context uh, about the seven departments, I'll just explain what those departments were. So first off was obviously the men's team with Graham Potter. Then it was the women's team with the manager, Hope Powell, former England women's boss. Then there was um, head of recruitment, Paul Winstanley. Um, the academy manager was John Morling. He's no longer at the club. Then there was head of, head of medical services, Adam Brett. Um, the loans manager or pathway development manager, who's now David Weir, who is Ashworth's successor in the technical director role. Um, and then finally, the head of psychology and mental well-being, Jane Bell. So, yes, linking up all those, I think um, he, he did a very good job of, yes, I said, streamlining all seven. And that's something that Graham Potter alluded to as well. Uh, but one thing that he also said that he, he doesn't sort of rip up the rule book. He doesn't come in and just say, this is how I want to do it. So before he came to Brighton, Brighton with their academy had uh, a document called the Brighton Way. And that was their goal of basically bringing academy players through to the first team and, and making that, you know, showing that as a pathway. And that's actually something that... Um, Dan Ashworth said in that podcast I mentioned, he said that's the thing that he's really, really passionate about is um, of, of all his particular roles is opening up pathways for young players. So I do think that just for Newcastle, um, what they might try to do is just to make the academy as, as good as possible. So they might um, bring in some of the best young players, you know, 16, 15 year olds or sorry, a little bit older um, and yeah, get the best in class there. And then hopefully that can bring them up to the first team just for, for future years to come. Um, but I would say in terms of the success for transfers, that's a, a big plus for Brighton since he's been there, since he's been in late 2018. So in terms of success stories, uh, one was Tarek Lamptey. So he was signed from Chelsea. Uh, it was really interesting. This actually, I think at the time everyone reported that it was three million, but I actually asked Graham Potter about this earlier this year, and he said that they actually managed to get him for under one million, um, which is mad because you know some people have rated him at 20, 30 million now. So, um, and then there's Moises Caicedo, who's recently taken um, uh, maybe not the Premier League, but Brighton by storm. He he came in. Uh, he was signed in uh, February 2021, has to be, had to be very patient, had a loan in Belgium, but then was brought in against Arsenal in April. And then since he's come in, 
Brighton beat Arsenal, then Tottenham, then Wolves, uh, then Manchester United, then West Ham. And he's just been absolutely brilliant. And he's just 20 years old and he costs 4.5 million. Um, and there's other good examples of um, Jakob Moda, the Polish international, came for about 6 million. Uh, they've just signed, uh, when, in the winter, winter, they signed Dennis Undav, who was the top scorer in Belgium, and they got him for 6 million. So I think what he did very well he did say a major part of his job was transfers, but there's other parts to it as well. But he said uh, he's very good at finding sort of hidden gems. And then hopefully in years to come, there'll be a big sum fee. The difference I think with Newcastle is that obviously they'll be looking a bit higher up the chain in terms of uh, transfer fees. But I still think that they'll look to be, um, you know, they don't, they, all, they don't want to be sort of, um, with it. They'll, they'll be frugal. Everyone loves a bargain, don't they? So yes, they'll look for. I think they'll look for bargains, but also they 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 don't want to be held to ransom. They'll they'll have like you know good operators and and uh, just because they've got all this wealth, it doesn't mean that they're gonna have to overpay for all these people. So I think uh, in terms of, I I say Brighton has an image of being one of the best run clubs in the Premier League, and I think Dash Ashworth did that was a massive part of that. You mentioned there the kind of the, the emphasis on on youth, and that'll be mu- music to the ears of Newcastle United fans. For too long, the academy hasn't produced the stars that fans really want to see. They want to see you know more than just one or two Geordies fighting for first team places. A few good uh, youngsters in the the youth ranks at the moment, but you know we're still waiting for that real influx of local lads to to break through. And what I found really interesting. Um, about what Dan Ashworth did at Brighton, and hopefully you can tell us more about this, is that he said when he came in, he set a 30% target of the first team minutes, uh, and he wanted that to be accounted for by academy products. And I think it was, was it last season they actually managed to hit that? Which, to come in, and he said, look, it's an ambitious target, but we're an ambitious club, which, is, which again, is a, is a fantastic thing to say for you know, a club of no disrespect of Brighton size. They're saying, look, yeah, we're going to set high targets, but, you know, we think we can hit them. We want to hit them. And then to achieve it, but also to to do that with the emphasis actually on young kids. It's, I think it's really refreshing. Yeah, it's great to see. Um, I mean, one of the, the, actually the matches that I enjoyed the most this year was going to the, um, I think it was the, uh, it was the, the Carabao Cup and it was Cardiff City away and Brighton had an average age of 21 in the starting 11. And that was significantly pushed up by Jason Steele, who was 31 um, as the goalkeeper. So, and you, yeah, you had a 16-year-old come on, you had a 17-year-old come on. There was um, like two, I think, uh, three or four teenagers started that game. And that was just, and then they beat Cardiff on their own patch. Uh, and that was just fantastic to see. And, um, but yeah, to your point on, on the, the minutes, yeah, it was very, very impressive. And they did that off the back of the likes of Ben White, who, um, I mean, that, that's just such a great example of, uh, you know, he was, um, he was let go by Southampton at 16, worked his way up the U Franks at Brighton, had loan after loan after loan, Newport, Peterborough, Leeds, had one season in the Premier League, and then he's a 50 million pound player at Arsenal. And that shows you that is such a good example of what the academy can do for a club. You pay a sort of a peppercorn or nominal fee to get them in, and then hopefully they can go forward. And that is something that really the, the academy sort of 
part of Brighton is is a real strong part of their DNA. So you mentioned at the beginning of the episode about this DNA, and I think a lot of people who know of Dan Ashworth will have read or heard about this England DNA, but it's fair to say the same applied to Brighton as well. Can you just give our listeners a bit of insight into that? Sure. So just on, on the sort of English DNA that he um, that they popularised, um, that was something that he talked about. They wanted to make public. They wanted to sort of change the image of, of England in terms of um, just the way they come across and, and also promoting youth and, and that sort of thing. Um, just just a little quote. He, he described the English DNA as, as a way of doing things that stretched from how we coach to how we treat players, how we warm up, how we recover, eat and travel, everything. So with with Brighton, I think it was, they already had a good foundation um, with the Brighton way, their, their, um, their goals of bringing uh, the, the youth team players up to the, the first team. But he said, you know, he wanted, he made some tweaks when he came in, fresh pair of eyes, um, and like we said earlier in the show about achieving those 30% minutes for those youth players. And, and, um, and, uh, and he was also important in terms of, uh, giving youngsters loan spells and, and, um, bringing them up. So one great example was obviously Ben White, but another one was Robert Sanchez. He, uh, a couple of years ago was playing for, uh, Forest Green Rovers in league two. He played, I think, 17 times before being recalled. He then played in League One. And then in a space of just over a year, he went from playing in League One with Rochdale to playing in the Premier League, uh, being one of the best sort of shot stoppers in, in the Premier League, and then getting a call up for Spain's squad for the Euros. So that's just a you know a meteoric rise. And uh, Ashworth was is is in, was a, a key player in in finding the right loans for um, these young players working with David Weir, who's now a successor as a loans manager. Um, so yeah, in terms of that DNA, he was so, so, um, uh, he found it so important to, to, to give, uh, youngsters the feeling that they could make that pathway. And, and I think that's also why, um, some young Brighton players, so now young Brighton players chose Brighton over the, maybe the top clubs because they thought, well, this is a chance that we actually are going to have to play in the Premier League. And I think if Newcastle could still provide that platform that you go, okay, it's not going to be easy, but if we get the best in class from the youth, there is a pathway through. And I think that's something that will still, and that will then be able to bring in young talent as well for the future. It's interesting because Newcastle have been so hit and miss when sending out youngsters on loan. Elliot Anderson has had a brilliant time down at Bristol Rovers, but these other players who just haven't had a look in when they've been sent out on loan. And it has been a frustration, I think, of, of fans. So it'll be really interesting to see how Dan Ashworth sorted out there. But you mentioned the fact that he was kind of instrumental in sending players out on loan, but he was working with a loan manager. So is he? does he, does he delegate? And but then even then he likes to still be involved in in everything because just by what you've said there it seems like even though he has got people doing specific roles he still wants kind of a, 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 an oversight on on pretty much everything that goes on. Yeah, I think so. So like he will. So for Brighton, David Weir was was the the pathway you know loans manager. So, <clears throat> but they would talk about what would be the right role. So I think in the previous podcast he might have mentioned 
is it best to send someone to a low championship team or a high league one team? And they together will talk about that. And then obviously that will go through to Graham Potter as well. And, and also even Tony Bloom, the, the owner. So, but as I said, that just goes back to the point. It was just sort of an intricate web and you have to talk to all those different strands and get them um, going in the same direction. Mm. And just to finish on the youth, uh, you know, kind of part of the pod, some fascinating quotes in this Coach's Voice interview. Uh, I'll, what I'll do, I will actually put the link in the podcast notes. But one of the, the quotes that stood out for me, he's talking about the the youth system. And he says, um, also, let's say that the first team plays 4-3-3, but the best two players in the under-18s are centre-forwards or the best three are centre-backs. If you're set on playing a 4-3-3, then you get players who are out of position or not playing at all. So does that mean that... He's when he when he's talking about kind of the formation there, he's looking at how it can benefit the the, the club from the first team all the way down. And I'm just wondering how that worked at Brighton and what, what can Newcastle like your fans? Do you think Newcastle fans can expect similar at their club? So I think what he did try to do is um what it, it wasn't just him, it was the the club as a whole. They do want the the youth teams and the first team to play in a similar way. They can sure they can certainly be different, like um, you know, iterations and alterations between them. But I do think they 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 generally want sort of a streamlined, similar approach throughout coursing, you know, coursing through the club. Um uh, you know, and sometimes that's that's why um and then sorry, and then that links back to who they might sign. So if they've got a certain system, then they'll go, okay, let's find a player who matches this system, who we think will be able to embed into the system well. Um, I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm not quite sure, like how different maybe, um, say three at the top or two at the top, but um, I, I think that will probably be coaching into them. I, I don't think that they're going to sort of okay, we're just sticking to this path. You know, I, I think, um, yeah, Dan Ashworth spoke in a previous podcast about trying to to align all the sort of getting everyone in, in sort of the right direction or the similar direction. And there can be obviously little, you know, slight offshoots or whatever. But yeah, I think uh, a similar approach as possible does help in terms of just from a young age. And then so you're not sort of, you know, going, oh, what, what do I do here? Like, I, I know the path that I'm on and yeah, that's sort of We'll get back to the show in just a quick moment, but please, to, please remember to follow and like the podcast through your podcast provider. It's totally free to do. Just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to download or listen to. And if you get the chance, please leave us a rating and review. This really is the key bit because if you leave us a rating and review, it helps promote the podcast to a much wider audience. We're so close to 200 reviews, which doesn't sound a lot, but in the world of podcasting, it is actually quite a big number. So if you could help us get over the line of 200 ratings and reviews, we would really appreciate it. Just helps to get out to a much bigger audience. And we love hearing your feedback too. We are very, very grateful for you sticking with us to listening to every episode we do. Long may it continue. Thank you once again. Let's get back to the show. How do you think he will handle the change? Because you mentioned there, Ben White, he moved to join Arsenal. I know it was a huge amount of money, but Dan Ashworth is now coming to a club where you'd like to think they're not going to sell their best players. And I know with a price tag there, Brighton might have gone, well, we can reinvest that into the first team 
squad and they, they did do and obviously they've had a great season but it is it's still a change because Newcastle are going to build their team around these players and look to hold on to them for years to come and I'm sure that if a, a big big bid comes in they may well sell but on the whole I think the approach will be to build a team around these great players and not sell them when they've you know hit a good run of form or been eyed up by the England squad so how do you think Ashworth will handle that change in um, yeah, just the, the, the change in approach that he's going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's an interesting question um, because obviously, you know, when he was at England, it was more about um, he tried to get across to the the clubs that you don't need to buy elsewhere. You should you should uh, focus and develop on your, on your academies. And obviously at Brighton, it was about sort of um, almost like a money ball type transfer strategy. Um, but I, I do think uh, I do think that he will still look to sort of sign younger-ish players. I don't think, um, like, for example, I think Tottenham are linked with uh, Perisic, who's like 32 or 33 from Inter Milan. I, I can't really see sort of those type of signings. Um, there obviously will be, need to be some experience in the group. Um, and that obviously comes with, um, hopefully if you get some young players in over the years, they can develop that experience. But I, I um, yeah, it will be very interesting to see uh, one, if they maybe, if Ashworth looks to go back to Brighton, if in terms of, um, I think, like of Robert Sanchez and Trossard um, have, have been linked. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they maybe try to sign some Brighton players. Um, but, yeah, it's a little bit of an unknown. Obviously, he's only just been confirmed as a sporting director yesterday. Um, but I, I do think that, I mean, I don't know enough about Newcastle's transfer setup, um, but I do think that. Uh, things will probably look better for them now that he is at the helm in, in that role. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Newcastle in terms of transfers. You have Steve Nixon there. They did a really good job in January without that kind of experience. You know, the owners were heavily involved. And of course, so was Eddie Howe. And it's going to be interesting to see how Dan Ashworth fits into to their approach in the transfer market. You mentioned there, Richie, about Dan Ashworth having a big part in Brighton's success. I'm just wondering if you can tell our listeners how important his relationship with Graham Potter was to that and what he can take away from that relationship to his new role at Newcastle working alongside Eddie Howe. Okay, well, I, I, I thought I would maybe answer that with a quote from Graham Potter, actually. Um, I just had a chat with him, no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, so earlier this year... Him on. Asked... He's, he's, he's <laughs> next year, come on, Graham. Oh, no, he's not there. Um, and he said, um, I had lots of calls and conversations with uh, Dan Ashworth. Um, this was just before, uh, sorry, after his resignation. Uh, so back in February, I understood his position. It was a really tough decision for him. He's got family and his reasons. You have to respect that Dan is his own man. He's an intelligent man. He understands how good it is here. But at the same time, he's got another opportunity. You have to respect that. That's how it is. And you've got to trust that he will make the decision for him. And then it's up to club talk the rest out. But I know this football club doesn't rely on one person. It's a real collective strength that we have. Um, but Dan has helped us a lot along the way. And um, yeah, I mean, they, they they were very close in terms of um, uh, they would regularly chat to each other and they lived, I think, just down the road from each other. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, I think the, the sort of the link of Brighton CEO, Paul Barber, uh, Graham Potter, head coach, and Ashworth was a very key one, and they would chat as much as possible before and after games. Um, and 
I think Graham has said in the past that um, he he found working with Ashraf very informative, um, very helpful. He learned things, and um, and I think they learned off each other as well. Uh, so, in t- in terms of you know um, speaking about someone highly, Graham Potter was right at the top of the list. And how important was Dan Ashworth's history? You know, because he hasn't just come in to this role from like a, like a business side. Sometimes you get people appointed as sporting directors or technical directors and they've come in with more of a, a business sense of things. But, you know, you look back in, in his history and I'm right in thinking, you know, he spent a bit of time, you know, um, in the Norwich Academy. You know, he didn't reach the heights of anything anything special, but he's he's been involved in the game throughout his life, really. It's not like he's come in after being successful in business and just taking up this role. He's got that experience in the game. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think he was maybe let go from Norwich at seventeen or something like that, and then did about twelve or so years in youth coaching. Um, obviously, he was at I think West Brom. Uh, he was in their academy, and then I think he took their uh, sporting technical director role in two thousand seven before joining the FA in, in twenty twelve. Um, so yeah, he, he's definitely come from it from not a business side. He's come from the football side, so he's come I guess more hands on and. And really understands that that part of the game and and the um, more the sort of the players side of it. Um, but I, I think um, just going back to the point earlier, I, I think it'll be fascinated to see um, how it, how much of an impact Ashworth will be able to have this summer, if it all because obviously you know you said you guys did a really good job in January. Um, and they probably, well, every club will be looking ahead. Um, so I wonder if he'll have more of an impact maybe next January or next summer. But, um, I mean, I, I reckon that he will he will try to maybe make some tweaks and um, maybe come with a fresh pair of eyes. Uh, but, yeah, it should be it should be a very interesting summer ahead. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned there the reasons that he left in the quote that you give from Graham Potter. I mean, is there anything more you can tell us? Do you think it was just he was ready for a new challenge and when you're handed the challenge of turning one of England's greatest clubs, which has been a sleeping giant, into a force, you just can't turn that down? I think so. I think this was pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, I would say uh, the, the way Brighton are going, and say a very well-run club, but with the sort of resources and finances they have, they maybe have a, a obviously a lower glass ceiling than, than Newcastle. And I think um, this was, yeah, a fantastic chance to, um, you know, for Newcastle to sort of upset the established order um, in terms of the, sort of the so-called top six. And uh, yeah, I think this was just a, t- a too good an opportunity to turn down. I think. He was doing a great job at Brighton, but maybe there wasn't too much more that he could do. Uh, obviously, they had a fantastic season. They came ninth. But, yeah, I think just these opportunities don't come along very often, and I think it was too good to turn down. And the attention on Newcastle as a club, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny on the club because of um, the elements of the ownership. The, the attention you get from fans, you know, it takes very special characters to be able to deal with just walking down the street and you want to go and get a pint of milk and suddenly you'll be, um, you know, autographed. You know, you, people, people want to, to talk to you about Newcastle United and certain people can't handle that and uh, have left Newcastle because of that. Certain players embrace it and absolutely love it. 
how do you think Dan Ashworth will 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 handle that? Because again, and no disrespect to Brighton, even if the takeover hadn't happened, Newcastle is a very different beast in terms of living here in the city and like I say the attention you do get from fans. Um I, st- I still I don't think it will phase him that much. I mean, I think uh, as I said, he, he's not someone I think sort of hogs the limelight. He likes to do his work um you know with with a, with a good team of people and he, and he doesn't say you know that was me i did this blah, blah, blah. he's um you know he doesn't he hasn't given out many interviews uh you know does it every now and again but um no i, I think that that won't be an issue at all and we mentioned there his history you know he was academy director at peterborough he had spells at cambridge he went to be the fa director of elite development there was um a spell at west brom as well where he was credited with setting up a top scouting network that brought quality players into the club. So, I mean, his CV reads really well. And that's even before we get onto the success, um, you know, at Brighton. I know we've spoken about it there. But you, you can see why Newcastle have gone for a man like Dan Ashworth. You know, he's he's proven that he can do it at the very top level. And it, it, it's a great appointment, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean... As, as as I said, um, everyone spoke so highly of him at Brighton, um, and I think um, it, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting because um, the way that sort of Brighton were going, um, a lot of that was down to to Ashworth, but it was sort of a, a sort of a, you know an incremental increase, um, and a lot of that was down to. The great work he'd done before and the connections that he'd built up and his working relationship with other people um and i was just going back to a little bit again you know i just think it would be so fascinating to see um how big an impact he can have at newcastle you mentioned there the connections is that in terms of kind of his work at the fa is that is that what you're kind of alluding alluding to that i mean i imagine he's got a, a very uh, big contact book to uh, to dive into I think um, so. He, I think also just in, I meant mainly for for sort of transfers. Um, I, I think uh, he was a part of. Obviously, there are scouting networks and stuff like that. But I think he was able to add to to that for for Brighton. Um, I, I would say that pre his appointment at Brighton, uh, they had a lot more. They had quite a lot of sort of transfer misses in terms of not, you know, paying a lot for players, but not really succeeding. And I would say since his arrival, the sort of um, the percentage of that has, has gone much more positive. Uh, so, for example, before when he came, there was uh, Brighton spent nearly the sort of record fees on uh, Jürgen Lacardia and Ali Reza Yehambach. Um, and... Uh, Jose is created who was very unlucky of injuries, but they they sort of cost close to fifty million between the three of them, and and all of them were quite big um, flops, arguably. Uh, post then, it's you know it's hard to really think of you know big money signings who have not hit the mark in terms of so they've had like Neil Mope who's done he's been that sort of top scorer for the last few seasons. Adam Webster is essentially in the you know around sort of the, the England periphery. Um, obviously, then the academy players being given a chance. 
I, I just think in terms of sort of a, a success rate in signing players, um, that has you know markedly improved, and I think uh, a lot of that is down to the networks, scouting wise and, and uh, recruitment wise, that Ashworth was able to build over his time there. And there you have it, Richie Mills from Sussex Live, giving us the insight into Dan Ashworth. And just to wrap up, Richie, can you sum up what Newcastle United are getting in Dan Ashworth? Sure. So I think um, you have a very shrewd operator, one someone who won't uh, be held to ransom in terms of transfers. And I think Newcastle fans can expect some um, some very exciting transfers in, in uh, transfer windows to come. And I think even though their their uh, fantastic wealth will allow that anyway, I think just in terms of a uh, success rate, I think that will improve markedly. Um, he will likely connect the club better in terms of its departments. Uh, he will get them more streamlined and, and singing from the same uh, hymn book. There'll be a strong emphasis on youth, I think, in terms of finding the next sort of young Newcastle player of tomorrow and uh, maybe in, in imparting, um, having uh, a Newcastle DNA. So there was something that he had, you know, the England DNA, he had a Brighton DNA. And I think that they will want to have a, a vision um, an exciting vision for years to come that's not just around, um, you know, crazy um, wages and, and, uh, and all that jazz. Yes, yeah, so it's a very, very exciting appointment and one that I think really shows that Newcastle are going in a very exciting direction and a, a smart one as well. <laughs>